This is the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan-Nathan and Peter Gowers. Thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency. Hello there. Welcome. This is the Territory Story Podcast Weekend Edition. I'm Peter Gowers. I'd like to introduce my co-host, Mr. Leon Logan-Nathan. How are you, mate? It's a privilege to be here, Pete. Uh, it's a privilege to have you. We have, uh, what, one week on, four weeks off these days? <laughs> well, I am trying. And to those people that have suggested guests for the um, Territory Story part of this podcast, uh, I have been reaching out to people and... Uh, <laughs> They're running scared. Call, it's called it's called No Sound, No Picture. So yeah. uh, I'm not sure what's going on there. But uh, we do have a guest lined up for Monday. So, um, yeah, we'll be back on air with that. I love it. Well, let's get the special guest on for the weekend episode. Weekends with Walshy wouldn't be the same without Chris Walsh from the NT Independent Online Newspaper. Walshy, hello there. Hey, guys. Good to see you both. Privilege for me as well. Good to see you. <laughs> There's a lot of courtesy in the room tonight. I think that means that we haven't spoken together for a while. <laughs> might be. Might be. Well, let's uh, kick off this uh, the week, the weekend. First story off the rack, Chris, is, uh, well, Matt Wright, Crocodile Wrangler star Matt Wright has spoken to a UK newspaper hmm. asking uh, about, about, about the death of his uh, friend and co-star Chris Willow-Wilson while promoting his Netflix series, telling the tabloid, maybe in time, you know, I'll explain. Yeah, that was unusual. That I think <laughs> I'm trying to figure that out. I, it wasn't even clear in the the, uh, the British tabloid exactly, except that they did reference it around um, the details of the what they called the tragic incident, and I think we could all call it that. Um, and of course, that's related to Chris Willow Wilson, his uh, his mate, and his and the co-star of that uh, uh, who's it called Crocodile Wrangler. But there's a new show now, and I and I think Wilson was in um, was in that as well. I think in the first couple episodes or something, uh, or maybe the whole season. I'm not sure. I'm not a, a fan or anything. I don't, I've never really watched the show. But uh, anyway, he's on this some sort of international. Uh, promotional tour for this new show and it's called big croc territory so who knows how much the anti-government's kicking in on that one too <laughs> throwing that name around but uh anyway he's out doing this promotional tour and this comes in the middle of as we know i mean this is still the biggest story around darwin and you've got people talking about it everywhere and coming up with their own theories and uh, uh, you know rumors are rife everywhere who knows what's true what isn't um well, and then he starts talking about it. We've got two guys charged, facing charges for conspiracy to pervert the course of justice. <laughs> and um, and here you are. You've got Matt right now. Surely, you know, I've seen some of the other publicity where he hasn't talked about it at all. And the questions, the Q&As are really stuck to the show and they don't really mention the uh, the chopper crash in February. Now, in this one, what makes it different? is that we he does start to talk about it and he's asked about it by the uk express uh he told them that he was still processing the death of his close friend who was killed in february while collecting crocodile eggs he said the the reporter that Wright has now spoken out about his reaction to his friend's death though he struggles to relay the details of the tragic incident uh it's still pretty raw they quoted Wright saying, it's still pretty fresh. Maybe in time, you know, I'll explain. 
that's really the context. I thought it was important that we provide exactly how the papers set that up and uh, what he's quoted as saying. So he's talking about the details of the tragic incident, saying that it's pretty fresh, maybe in time, you know, I'll explain. Well, I think there's a lot of people who want an explanation uh, at this point. And the anti-police, of course, are still investigating. We've got two guys, as I mentioned, charged. That's helicopter pilot Mick Burbage and former anti-police officer Neil Mellon, both of them facing multiple charges in connection to the crash, including for allegedly fabricating and destroying evidence. Mellon also was charged with conspiracy to pervert the course of justice and dozens of other criminal charges. Uh, both men were ordered by the court, as we spoke about last time, not to contact uh, Matt Wright. Uh, it was also revealed in court last month by the prosecution in Burbage's matter, the last uh, hearing he had, that the prominent Darwin businessman and crocodile farmer McBurns was at the site of the crash. Now, the Australians reported this, and this is uh, pretty much come to be known. It's been confirmed by a lot of different people that, that the story here now is that, to sum it all up, is that you've got Burns at the site, you've got McBurbage, the helicopter pilot, and you've got Neil Mellon, and the story is that Matt Wright is there as well. Now, there's no allegations or uh, of charges or anything or any wrongdoing by either Matt Wright or Mick Burns. Uh, but the other two guys who were in the helicopter that day that traveled to the, to the site of the crash are facing some pretty serious charges. Now, you know, in Mellon, the stories, he's saying that he went out there as the anti-police representative, although he was off duty and he was friends with Chris Wilson. Uh, I don't know. And then there was this other helicopter pilot who took them there, Burbage, flew them all out there. I I've never heard of the police picking people up on the way to a, a potential crime scene. So that's going to get interesting on how that all unfolds. And so you've now got Wright, who's not talking about this stuff. And, uh, and I'm sure his lawyers have said, don't say anything at this point. Uh, but there's this other, this other report comes out on Friday. And this is the Australian, very good journalist there, uh, Kristen Shorten, who clearly is getting some information from outside the NT on this stuff. Uh, and what she reported on Friday was that, well, basically she had an email that was written by a, a helicopter engineer. Uh, that warned Matt Wright and the pilot Sebastian Robinson. This was the pilot who was flying the, the day of the crash. Uh, and that he was, you know, uh, critical inju injuries at the, uh, at the site, taken to hospital, um, suffered some really serious injuries, but he survived. Chris Wilson died in that. Anyway, two years before, according to this email that they obtained, uh, Wright and Robinson in early 2020, uh, we're told that the helicopters that they both own, there were two different helicopters, that they were unsafe and needed to be, quote, baselined and audited with the warning that, quote, if there is an incident, the ultimate responsibility falls with the responsible owner of the aircraft, which is you guys. An email from Kumali Air Chief Engineer Jeff Morton said. Now, Morton also reportedly told the pair in, the, in, these e in this email exchange that they, quote, really need to get on top of the logbooks for these uh, these helicopters and technical records. Now, these were two other helicopters, not the one that was involved in that crash in February. One of the helicopters was owned by Wright, the other by Special Robinson. The helicopter involved in February's crash was owned by Matt Wright um, and operated through one of his companies, Hellebrook. Uh, so anyway, so that that's some more interesting so, so that email was from Kamali. Did you say Kamali Aviator? What was that? Who yeah, was that? yeah, yeah. 
Kumali. Yep. C-O-O-M-A-L-I-E, Air Chief Engineer, Jeff Morton. Now, they were doing some work together, apparently. Uh, they were in business together. Shortly after these emails, the SRN reported that that business relationship was terminated and uh, they weren't working together anymore. But it's quite clear he gave them some pretty serious warnings saying, look, and this is in early 2020. It was two years before this, this crash happened. Uh, and he's telling them they need to be baselined and audited if there's an incident. The ultimate responsibility falls with the responsible owner of the aircraft, which is you guys. So get on top of the logbooks and the technical records for these two choppers. So, and how was that email uh, uncovered? I mean, did you say the Australian uncovered it? Yeah, the Australian obtained it from somebody. They independently verified that it was accurate, and I have no reason to doubt them on that. And I would say that the information the Australian is getting is really good and really close to what's going on. So it's it's interesting to see that. So I don't think they're getting it from the NT. I don't want to speculate on where, but I, I would suggest it's not NT police, but. Who knows? I mean, look, there's still so much going on here. I mean, the NT police are still asking for people to come forward with any photos of video that they have inside the, the helicopter that went down. But we get back into uh, to what Wright said. So you're looking at this stuff. And then the Express reported that Matt Wright had, quote, reiterated he wasn't involved with the incident and was elsewhere when the crash took place. It wasn't with myself, he said. We weren't on the jobs or anything. The boys were out doing another job with another pilot and stuff. Unfortunately, he says, the machine went down and Willow was killed in the process, so it's taken a horrible toll this year. Yes. Uh, so he says that. He then gets into another story. When I thought the story was over, I found this later on. He also told the tabloid that he and his wife uh, had found out they were expecting their second child he says, quote, two days or a day after we found out about Willow. He reportedly also said he was considering naming their second child after Mr. Wilson, quote, though he and Kai, uh, I, I think that's how you pronounce her name, had yet to make a decision at the time of the interview. I don't know why he's he's adding that stuff in there. It just seems unnecessary. But um, anyway, that's that. He's saying maybe in time he'll explain something about all of this. I'm not sure. The police, meanwhile, uh, are still seeking those photos and video from the helicopter with the call sign VH-IDW. That's the Robinson R-44 Raven. Uh, it had been used for scenic and adventure tours in the NT between 2020 and 2022. So the cops are saying, get in touch. Uh, we're interested in anyone who may have taken photos or videos of or in this aircraft to come forward and provide these images to police via a link that they have set up or call Crime Stoppers. Um, yeah, so the, that's about where we're at now. Um, and like I said, you got two people facing charges right now. That's what we know of. This investigation is clearly still ongoing. Mm-hmm. And uh, hopefully we're getting a little closer to understanding what happened that day. Yeah. It feels like it, but it also feels like there is still a hell of a lot that's unknown at this point. Yeah, yeah. I'd uh, say as you'd expect there to be, Pete. I mean, yeah. there's an investigation going on, right? Yeah, yeah, I know, but it just, I mean, you know, I don't presume to know anything, but I just found it really weird that the police would be seeking basically information from anyone regarding photos that they had of the inside of a helicopter. I mean, anyway, I, I well, obviously don't understand the police process, but it just seemed odd. I know. Like I said before, I think that uh, you would think that production 
team because that helicopter was on the show before too that they'd have a lot of inside yeah. stuff but yeah and then you got to wonder you know is it the police being incompetent here and not getting on top of this before this point or have they done this for some other reason that we don't know yet but anyway i guess anybody who has that footage um you know like i said the, yeah just get in touch with the police i guess but it's it, it seems that something had changed obviously i think we're safe to say what it assumed, what it appears that's what it feels something like, inside yeah. so was that in the in the control Control panel was said who knows what exactly they're not telling anybody that but they want photos and videos from inside and why they would do it this late after charging these guys too i mean that's where he, you start to question well, what yeah. they're doing but i don't know yeah. anyway hopefully we'll but, find out soon let's not presume we know where this is headed and look i don't want to be certainly accused of being called woke when i say this but uh <laughs> <laughs> there Let's just say that um, let's hope that it's they're doing it because they're doing as thorough a job as they possibly can. <laughs> oh, we can ask. That's <laughs> um, yeah, and who knows in the antique? Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Anyway, yeah. let's move on to the next story, Chris, because uh, this one certainly is uh, very, very serious. Ongoing violence on Darwin buses caused resignation of drivers and, of course, as a result, service interruptions. Yeah, so this one's surprising. So the, the, the company's come out, I guess, the bus operator and have uh, confirmed now that, um, well, that they're about 15, no, they're 30 drivers short. Uh, and I think it was something like 15 bus services a day have not run their routes this month um because of the shortage now why do you have the shortage well because of the crime and you get back to that stuff and some of this stuff like they, they abc had a guy on uh, this year a uh, or this week sorry a, a bus driver who'd been a bus driver for years here after retiring and he said he had quit that that the intensifying violence that uh, ongoing antisocial behavior as we call it um of, of passengers has you know just gotten to the point where they don't feel safe anymore. And we've talked about this before and they had the big rally of parliament and you just got to wonder what it's going to take to get through here to the government that, that these guys are in trouble. Now, this guy said that, well, I guess while the company said they're about 30 drivers short, this guy said he estimates 150 drivers who quit over the last three and a half years. Uh, that's pretty bad. It's uh, how many yeah. were there? <laughs> I don't know. Only three I, blokes left. <laughs> yeah. Um, Look, the, yeah, and, uh, you know, they've been calling on the government to do something. Now, the government did recently when they announced that they were giving the transit officers these um, extended powers to... Tasers. Uh, you know, not quite that far yet. I think that's the next step. But, uh, yeah, certainly they could make arrests and uh, ban passengers, um, remove them from buses or, or uh, exchanges, I guess. Um but the bus drivers say that hasn't been enough. They continue to hold concerns for their safety and safety of the passengers. Uh, yeah, he said this uh, guy named Tony Bullock, former bus driver, recently resigned. Um, he said that his life had been threatened by an irate passenger. He became extremely violent very, very quickly. He said he was a very, very big person and tried tearing the driver protection cage out of the framework. The threats became worse and worse to the point that I generally genuinely feared for my life mr bullock said uh yeah he says it could be drinking it could be defecating urinating a combination of any of those i'd say a lot of alcohol related incidents he said i've seen fights where babies were knocked out of prams it just becomes how well you can cope before it breaks you wow 
And yeah, I think anybody who's seen anything even close to that around there would get that, that it can get pretty violent pretty quick. I, I get what yeah. you're saying. I've seen that. Um, so yeah, so this is the point we're at now. Uh, we're not getting bus drivers, so there's not going to bus services aren't going to be there like they should be. Um, yeah. And you got to side with them, at least understand where they're coming from, that they don't want to be assaulted while they're just driving a bus around town. And this stuff is getting out of hand. I mean, we know this in every corner of the territory that it is uh, in every w- walk of life or social circles here it seems you can't go to the shopping center without being attacked or the fear of that you can't ride a bus now without the fear of that i mean it's just i don't know how 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 further we have to go until something's done but um at this point there's still no solution there's nothing seemingly being done i mean they talk about that new social order team in alice springs that they'll be rolling out up here the government has uh, made of public servants or bureaucrats who are gonna stamp out the crime i i don't know anyway it's, i think they've also introduced legislation on buses yeah public servants on buses yeah <laughs> they've also <laughs> they, introduced legislation haven't they to um, increase the age of responsibility yeah, so and 10 that to 14, is that right? 10 to 12. It 12, 12 suggested right. that it be 14, but they wouldn't go that far. <laughs> yeah, but like I said, I mean, that, that's not even related to the crime issue here. That's, you know, a plea from Amnesty International to do it to, to, to from 10 to 14. The government labor, this government somehow decided, let's do it first before any other jurisdiction. <laughs> and we'll do it to 12 in the middle of this crime crisis and admitting that mm. The, the crime is the single biggest issue facing the territory at this time. Mm-hmm. Files has said that and then goes and does that. And we don't even understand what the ramifications of that will be at this point. And I, the government doesn't at all. So um, correct. it's not helping, but it's not something that helped. It was something that was like a sideshow off to the end. So they could say, look, we're still labor and we're doing what our labor values tell us. But it's not going to change anything and it's not going to make anything better. What they should be focused on is fixing the immediate problem, not the showy stuff that make everybody feel good. It's like, what can we do to prevent this crime? Look, the CLP put out a release tonight saying, um, what was it them or somebody else? Anyway, there's, uh, yeah, it was the CLP late this afternoon saying, um, you know, these business owners are holding another rally next week. Uh, the frustrated business owners in Darwin and Palmerston who are sick to death of having their businesses ram-rated every night, seemingly somebody is getting ram-rated and uh, calling on the government to actually do something. Now, they did this a couple of weeks ago. They're going to, it seems like they're ramping it up. It may be a parliament um, this week coming up or next week. So, um, yeah, clearly there's frustration in the community and the government doesn't seem to have that grasp on how exactly to respond and it's taken this long and the best they have is this team of bureaucrats who are gonna solve it in alice springs but i don't know i mean look we probably asked down there i haven't talked to anybody in alice for a couple of weeks so i should call down there tomorrow and find out if uh, if everything's working but the phones. i wouldn't <laughs> yeah, exactly. I wouldn't hold my breath. I think it's going to take a while. The, the labor's got us to this point here by this claims of this generational change that we've seen hasn't happened at all. Um, it's going to take so like to, to get it to that point where they've essentially sat back and done nothing for six years and the courts have overturned, have, have let people come and go. They've closed the, the youth court as we were talking about. We saw more crimes this week committed by young offenders, 12 and 13, who were 
out on bail and violent offenses again involving weapons and assaults of workers. Um, but they've closed the courts. So we don't know what happens in there. And then the judges seem to be just turning them back out on the street. The cops are frustrated. The community's frustrated. And the government has done nothing. They've sitting back and done nothing. So how do you solve it now? How do you fix it after six years of neglect? It's going to take a lot more than this uh, bureaucratic team. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't know where this is going, but we're going to be talking about it a lot more because I'm sure it's got to get worse before it gets any better. I think it's a bit unfair to say that the government's doing nothing, though, Chris. I mean, you know, there was a big report this week about the fact that they're spending a lot of time um, being briefed on what's happening with this shade structure in Kavanaugh Street. So <laughs> well, I wanna, there's only so much they can do at once, Chris. <laughs> yeah, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about that because. Um, yeah, that is remarkable that that they would say that she would say we're we're listening to the experts. Yeah, exactly. I remember last yeah. week we talked about that. Yeah, yeah. and I said oh, I misspoke when I said because I didn't mean that. I meant like non-government organizations that they should be listening to and yeah. people in the community. Anyway, Files gets asked about that because we talked about that last week, that 100000 yep. a year. So she gets asked on radio this week, what are you doing about that? And she said, well, we're not going to... Well, she said, we're listening to the experts, so we're not going to fix the problem. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah. you know, to, to beat the metaphor to death as we were talking about that being a metaphor for the government, uh, I, this is what I don't understand with, with this government, but I think it's all it all puts us there. And we, and we understand this now that Natasha Files has admitted she's come out and she said that, look, I have I have weeds growing in my yard that are growing more efficiently than those vines. So she's admitted <laughs> that there's a problem. And she said, and we all know that this hasn't you know, worked the way we thought it would work. She's admitted that there's a problem. She's admitted that she can see with her own eyes that there's a problem. And yet she won't fix that problem because she's listening to the experts now. I don't know who the experts are. She didn't say who the like. I I take it that you know this is I'd really love to showing. Know those experts. Well, it's just public servants, right? It's just people working in Dipple who say, "No, nah, no, nah, it's fine." And they've been telling the government this for four years. And you know, if you want to talk about that being the metaphor, this is exactly what this government's problem is and what happened when yep. they got in. They're inexperienced. They they don't show leadership at any time, and they were they were just brought by the hand and guided by the real leaders were the public servants <laughs> who are unelected who told this government what to do. This government blindly followed them. We're looking mm. at you, Jody Ryan, and that $10 million water bottling thing. That's just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, all of the, these problems that we talked about, where I remember we wrote an editorial there a couple months ago saying it really takes a lot of effort to break the place the way this government has. A lot of people working together to do this. But part of that whole thing we got into that was that this government has not shown leadership, not with Michael Gunner. Now, not with Natasha Files, and this is the perfect example of that, is that they've been told what to do by a public service that has, that's got its own interests at heart. Um, and and they've just blindly followed and, and forgetting that they've been elected by the people to lead and to actually, when they see a problem like this, their job is to fix it. But they, they choose not to do that and instead blame the public servants or blame the experts. And she's not just calling them experts. Like, yeah, everybody who's given the dash of files advice is an expert now. And she doesn't she doesn't make her own decisions, the same as Gunner or any of the clowns in cabinet. So, I mean, how is this place ever going to get better? What a great son, clowns in cabinet. 
<laughs> Cabinet of Clowns. Just on that. Um, Maybe that's the follow-up book yeah. <laughs> title. <laughs> Just quickly on that um, violence on the bus thing, and I'm not, I don't wish to make light of it, but you know the old days when like the drivers couldn't change a twenty or a fifty or something like that. It just sort of had that feel to it where the fella gets on and tries to buy his bus ticket with a $100 note and goes absolutely wild because the bus driver can't change it. But you know they've got those shields in place now. Yeah. I look at that as a bit of a blessing and a curse because the guy can basically, as they do, walk straight past, go wild on the bus and the, before the driver's got a chance to even get out of his little capsule. Sounds to me like these guys don't want to get out of their capsule. They want no, it more solid like it. so that they can stay safe as well and then call for yeah. transit security. But then what, what about the public safety? It's too late that, by then. Yeah, because yeah, something's going to happen. And look, they've seen it. They've already seen this. We've reported on that with people being assaulted on the bus and stuff yeah, and yeah. having to pull over and wait for cops. So it's not good. It's not just the bus drivers, right? It's going to be no. the public that are going to be. Correct. This, well, if you've you know, got babies falling out of. You know, being uh, pushers, out of prams, yeah. that's absolutely unacceptable. Anyway. Yep. All right. Well, on the subject of Natasha Files and uh, <laughs> and uh, taking advice, um, Chief Minister Natasha Files has claimed the proposed middle arm manufacturing precinct will not include a petrochemical plant despite the government's gas strategy website clearly stating that the precinct will include low-emission petrochemicals production, including ammonia, urea, and ethylene yeah. used to produce plastics. Yeah. Yeah, look, Leon, I, I've been, we've been talking about this all week in the office and elsewhere and um, trying to figure out exactly what the strategy here is because this is just, this is either, look, it's either a, a straight-up lie that she's lying to the public by saying that there's no petrochemical plant there or it's complete incompetence that she has no idea what's going out there. And then you've got to start asking the question whether or not she should be in the office, probably for both of them. If you're going to lie to the public about something like this, um, you better have a reason. And if the reason is, well, I didn't know, then like I, the, there should be put more pressure on her on this right now to explain what happened. And, uh, you know, hopefully the, the, the CLP, although, you know, sometimes they're not as politically astute as they should be, but this is something where they need to come out and say that exact same thing. Say, look, this is, she needs to explain to the territorians what's going on here because she, not only did she do this once in a, uh, uh, ABC radio interview in the morning, she then doubled down and said it again. Uh, at a press conference. Um, and at that time, she even took it a step further and then accused the Environment Center NT of lying, of spreading horrible lies and mistruths. And it's like, well, I think we've got to start looking at the credibility of the people involved here and who do we believe. And when, you know, the Environment Center can back up what they're saying by saying, here's everything on all of these different government websites. Here's the pamphlet. Here's the Turk report economic reconstruction where it's mentioned 15 times or something in that report so what the hell's going on either files hasn't but, read that report and she has no idea in which case she's incompetent or she's, she's listening lying. to experts chris <laughs> yeah or she's uh, a, well political maybe and, and the idea is that if she continues this lie 
maybe she'll continue it to the next election and try and get the green vote or something and then turn around and say, oh, yeah, look what was behind here. And it's right. It's there. So and that's what the Environment Center, when we went to them the other day, said, well, they said, OK, if it's not going to be there and this is some sort of announcement, then they need to clarify this. They need to come out with the public and, and say it's not going to be. They need to remove these the lines from the websites that show when they're trying to sell this. It's a petrochemical plant. And, and, you know, even the federal government, who's investing $1.5 billion in this, came out and said, yeah, yeah, there's going to be petrochemicals there. It's, yeah, of course. And then she said, Madeleine King said, uh, the federal natural or the federal resources minister said, um, you know, and I don't like how petrochemicals are getting a bad rap these days and went on to defend it. And, you know, OK, whatever. But at least she's saying it. She knows what they're investing in. So either files, like I said, she's either lying or she just has no idea what's going on in her own in her own territory. Um, she refuses to believe it'll be petrochemicals. Yeah, well, I don't know what the hell she thinks. Like, and then is she saying then that there's no gas going out there because they've talked about this carbon capture stuff? She seems to be focused on this hydrogen, this green hydrogen, but it's also going to be other hydrogen out there. It's not just going to be water stuff. Um, it's yeah, it's just a, it's a whole bunch of things out there. And I guess the biggest problem is that we're all still confused about it. Because, look, I'm a reporter here. I covered this. I get the releases. I read through it. We send questions. We talk to other people. Um, and we're still trying to figure out what the hell the, it actually is. I mean, the carbon capture thing has come out. That came out a couple of years ago, maybe a year and a half ago. And then they didn't talk about that for a while. But now they're talking about that again. They've had to Dipple now has some uh, people going around doing a traveling road show where they're trying to explain to the public. And I'm pretty sure that they would have to say if the public asked them, they'd have to say, well, yes, petrochemicals, <laughs> there's going to be a petrochemicals plant. That's the whole idea behind this. Yeah. And, and it's just it's there. It says on the on the our territory gas strategy website. That And now the, the, the other thing, too, that's so stupid is that they're calling it the Middle Arm Sustainable Development Precinct. Sustainable <laughs> Development. Like, why not just go all out and say green sustainable development <laughs> precinct? Like, it's just ridiculous. Anyway, but and it said the government website states that the precinct ecology is based on low emissions, fuel production, including hydrogen and methanol. All right liquefied natural gas export and quote low emission petrochemicals production including ammonia urea, and ethylene so uh, <laughs> yeah i mean i don't know we, we, that's the evidence she's not told the truth about this so what happens now like does she just continue to lie and nobody calls her out on it i i don't even know what happened with the press conference why the journalists didn't say i think they did i think one of them said well but it's on the website like it's on your own government website promoting this and then she just said, no, they're lying. And it's but wait, but the facts are the facts. The facts are right there. And she's going on alternative facts now, the gunner style, Trump style stuff. Well, that's the that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, as much as you try and steer clear of everything that's going on in the US right now, it, this, <laughs> this is exactly the the day and age that we live yes. in, where you basically yes. just say, Speaking I mean it in existence. Yeah, that's it. So, Post -truth stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's frightening the fact well, that. So, Chris, yeah. well, I'm, 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 uh, well, I'm, uh, I guess, curious. The ABC would have known this, mm -hmm. but she wasn't telling the truth. Did they press yeah. her on it? Uh, no, that was it. I mean, look, they, they had the press conference. They didn't do a story. Okay, then. They, yeah, they didn't do an online story. They did a television story about yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and that, that was a little whatever. And, 
<laughs> she was on this press conference at this press conference. She was asked about a whole bunch of things. It was with the federal government too, but yeah, they shouldn't have let her go. And she walked off at one point, I think, and said, <laughs> you know, all right, that's it. Thank you. And they should have said, well, no, wait, you need to explain. And really everybody's got to get together. The other media, the anti-news, well, we know the anti-news isn't because they're involved in some deal to promote this $40 billion economy thing, which this seems to be a linchpin of. And so I'm really skeptical of what's going on there, but Every so other what, 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 what do you mean? I, I don't understand. Well, I don't know if you've seen this. Uh, what are they calling it? The future Northern Territory campaign. And so there's a campaign between the anti-government and the anti-news to celebrate uh, this $40 billion economy by 2030. Um, so is anti-news sponsoring it or something? Well, yeah, there, there's, yeah, there's some sort of, we're not sure. We're, We'll find out. Don't worry, Liam. But uh, yeah, and they had said that there's going to be articles, there's going to be a seminar, some sort of conference, a luncheon or something, where they're going to have files talking. And this is all sponsored by Cunningham's, the MC or something. It's all sponsored by the government. And they're trained and respected and experienced journalists. They've only got one guy there with any experience these days. Um, uh, that they're going to be covering and doing stories about how the anti-government reaches that $40 billion economy and how ambitious it is, but it can be done. And here's how the government's going to do that. And it all smells just a little funny to me. Like petrochemicals. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, we know this will be a big part of it. But look, this will compromise the anti-news's reporting if they, if they have got into some sort of contractual arrangement for money to promote this government campaign. Again, that's problematic, very problematic for, for press and for the public and what they're going to be able to see. Because right now, all the media should be putting pressure on files to come out to the public and explain why she's saying there's no petrochemical plant when clearly there are plans afoot to do that. Uh, and nobody's putting the pressure on her right now. I mean, we did this story. We'll try to get another one up. We need an explanation. She needs to come out and either apologize and probably apologize to the Environment Center and T for calling them liars and saying that they're doing she, this. She did when, that? She actually said they were liars? <laughs> yeah, she said that they were. Uh, and I don't have that line because I did this story before the press conference. Mm -hmm. And the press conference is where she said, I call on them to... Uh, to stop with the lies and the mistruths and something, the rubbish that's all based on rubbish. Me. Yeah. And the, yeah. Cause and so, so, so even if she made a mistake in, in the first instance, she's yeah. then doubling down again. Is that's that what right? we couldn't. Yeah. That's what we can't understand. So that happened later in the day after this story went out that pointed out that, well, you're wrong from the morning show that she did with ABC. But then in that afternoon, she's in a meeting with the federal people as well. And and they had already said, yeah, it's petrochemicals, but she came Telling out and them they're wrong. Everyone's yeah. wrong. You're all liars. Yeah, and attacked the, <laughs> the Environment Center for that. Stole the election. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. This is the kind of craziness that's going on. Yeah. So, look, yeah, I, yeah, that, she needs to explain to the public what's going on. And if that is an apology, then that's what needs to happen. And then we can move on. But right now, she's dealing in, in complete fabrications here and misleading the public. So... We've got to get to the bottom of it. Well, uh, something else we might need to get to the bottom of, the uh, Northern <laughs> Territories <laughs> Minister for the North. Uh, do they get extra bucks for the minister title? Is that why everyone's got 15 You, you get to a point where, no, <laughs> you don't get okay. any more money. But I think right. uh, you just 
have to flip over your business but, card to read you all You know what that. I don't quite understand? We're all in the Northern Territory. I know. This right? is why. It, so why yeah. would you be the Minister for the North? I don't understand that title. Maybe, maybe they live at Mandora or something, so they're just slightly north of everyone else. <laughs> oh, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's farcical. Anyway. It really the, is. Uh, uh, Minister Madison says nothing to worry about as the US plans to bring nuclear, or as uh, George W. would call it, nuclear-capable <laughs> B-52 bombers to the NT amid tensions with China. Nothing to see here, just a couple of nuclear bombs. Uh, look, you've got you've got the great Nicole Madison, who's been a resounding success with everything that she's touched here, deciding now, after her huge successes as police minister, with this crime crisis going on, Treasury. Remember, she was the treasurer, so she yep. she, she won that. She so flicked, now she's passed that over. <laughs> yeah, everything's great there. She only got us into the largest debt ever in the history of the Northern Territory. So she's now decides that everything's going so swimmingly for her. She's going to wade into geopolitical tensions between China and the U.S. Yeah. and come back to us territorians and tell us how it is and what's going on and what she's determined through all of her high level. Uh, discussions with high-level experts, I'm sure. Uh, everyone's told her, so she's come back to tell us that there's nothing to, to fear here, uh, that, that everything's going to happen. Why? Because we've always been a very important strategic location. Yes, we know that. That's okay. why we've got in trouble before. <laughs> okay. um, yes. She then went on to say... Uh, that's why basically we've always been a uh, she talks about the economic thing. We've always, we've always been, been in the north. We're going to remain town. in the north. Yeah, yeah. And uh and this brings in great money, 20 billion dollars over 20 years. Is that really that great money? Uh there's been a huge investment and that's going to continue. So this isn't new news. She said that we're going to have American planes will be coming into the Northern Territory, which they already, frankly, do when we have our regular training exercises here. Yeah, they, we're not talking about the same thing here. This is not a training exercise. It's However, drill people. Yeah, as we say, the plans to bring the six B-52 bombers to Tyndall, and now that was the story this week, amid ongoing fears they might be used if China moves to take back Taiwan, estimated possibly occur between 2025 and 27, as U.S. war planners suggesting Darwin and Tyndall could become a target for China in the event of a war. So real experts are saying this is likely, this is probable. <laughs> you should be aware. Now, uh, yeah, I don't understand. And then I think Files, they asked her in that same press conference, she said something like, well, you know that we were bombed before, so we've really got nothing. To and it's, what the hell are you talking? <laughs> like, this is the history that we learn from. What was the last time? How did it, how did it yeah. pan out for Darwin the last how time did it, it was taught? Between mm. the U.S. and a rising Asian empire, how did that work out for Darwin last <laughs> time? Well, mm. we had the ship bombed out of us, and and I get why people would be nervous about this. They're bringing in these six B fifty two nuclear mm. stuff going on here. I, I get why people would be concerned. Um, well, yeah, I mean, look, they're just building the, the facilities for that now. Who knows? This is over the next few years. Yeah. Um, People get, I think, rightly a little nervous because of that, because of our past, because of, because of our location here, and I and I think that these idiots are failing to 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 get that. Like Madison, 
to say, you know, yeah, there'll be economic benefits of having this. Certainly there is. But what's the uh, the other cost? You know, like what? Re- rebuilding what, what the tent when it gets bombed by a nuclear bomb. Oh, that's going to be great for the economy. Like, yeah, the jobs everywhere. There's, jobs, there's jobs, jobs. There's your 40 billion economy, Chris. Yeah, like <laughs> Nano should just be doing that right now. Bombs, bombs, bombs. And then <laughs> and it leads to jobs, jobs, jobs. I mean, yeah, any time that Nicole Madison wades into anything internationally, and offers an opinion. I think we all have the right to laugh. That's how we did this story. <laughs> He's the minister like for the north. What are you talking about? <laughs> minister for North Australia. Yeah, we don't. That's not even a real thing. Like we're in the Northern Territory. We don't. Mm. We're not. We're not dealing with Queensland and WA. We don't have jurisdiction there. Mm. But somehow that's she true. thinks she does. The it's good news like, is, though, Chris. Uh, don't forget that uh, Michael Gunner and I don't know if Nicole Madison was involved, but. She probably was. She would have. She would have been aware of it. Don't forget the sister city arrangement we've got with somewhere in China. So we should be right, I reckon. <laughs> yeah, Shenzhen or hey, something. Yeah. Um, Chris, Chris, you. I think you told me on a podcast episode previously that you, did you do history at at uni? Um, no, I maybe took an elective, like a okay. couple, but yeah, no, I'm not. Under sufferance. Right, right. So look, I'm a, I'm a late comer to history, but just absolutely love the subject. And I've been reading about World War One lately, um, partly because my son's doing a, a unit in it at school and, you know, I was kind of interested in it as well. It's just rem- the, the, the similarities between the eve of World War One and where we are now are quite remarkable. Mm. Mm. Um, and... You know, I was, I was actually, I mean, and if anyone's interested, get a get a hold of Dan Carlin's Hardcore History uh, podcast, uh, and he's, I think it's a five part episode called um, Blueprint for Armageddon. It's just he's a brilliant uh, narrator and a and a fantastic podcaster, mm-hmm. and he just brings to to life this whole thing. And what I found really fascinating, I mean, everybody knows, you know, Gavrilo Princip assassinated Archduke Ferdinand in Sarajevo, Sarajevo uh, which, which is now Bosnia, and, um, and that triggered World War I. But what was remarkable about it, Chris, um, there's lots of things remarkable yeah. about it, but, uh, the, the, I mean, the Austro-Hungary uh, Hungarian Empire was it was a huge, it was a big country. You know, it mm. was a, you know it was it was massive, uh, and and obviously took in part of um, part of this what is now Bosnia, but uh, Sarajevo, the city was part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, and uh, by by these guys who were effectively state-sponsored terrorists mm. from Serbia, right, coming in there and. Knocking off Archduke Ferdinand, whom I didn't realize was actually um, quite pro-Serbian, like as in he wanted, you know, he, he he knew that the the empire had taken in you know territory that probably um, it shouldn't have, and that that you know that there needed to be some sort of, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, you know, acquiescence to to you know, to, to the people there, and and to try to try to not antagonize them too much or react too much to to their antagonism yeah. um, but he got knocked off so that then triggered um, 
Well, obviously, uh, and and the way Dan Carlin described it, and I'm sorry to go down this this segue here, but it just it just does inform some of what we're talking about. He said, you know, imagine uh, Mexico, uh, present day Mexico, sending uh, sending you know people into the into the southern states of the U.S. like Texas and and New Mexico, for example, and and inciting inciting rebellion, inciting you know. Uh, just uh, discord and then someone in in texas goes and assassinates the vice president mm. right what do you think the us is going to do mm. of course right they're going to read mexico the riot act and you know possibly declare war on mexico yeah, you know what retaliate. i mean yeah yeah and, and that's exactly what happened and that's mm. what the Austro-Hungarian Empire did. They said, right, oh, well, these are our lists of 14, you know, four, lists of uh, 12, I think 12 or 14, I can't remember, items that we want, uh, which uh, Serbia was never going to be able to deliver. So what did Serbia do? They knocked on the door of Russia, who are their mm. kindred uh, kin, uh, uh, you know, uh, same um, ethnic um, uh, persuasion, and yeah. Russia says, of course, uh, we're going to come to your aid if, uh, you know, if uh, the Austro-Hungarian uh, Empire is going to declare war on you. So what happens next? The Austro-Hungarian Empire then look north to their uh, kin, uh, the Germans, <laughs> Germany, which I didn't realize. I mean, Germany was a very young country back then. It was only founded in like 1871 or something, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, and it was made up of a whole bunch of other sort of smaller countries that decided to band together and be Germany. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, and, and, and so, the, the, you know, the Germans then, you know, felt compelled to, to, to come in, but they knew that they were, uh, you know, surrounded by, well, they were ca caught between uh, France and Russia, who were traditional allies, and they were concerned. And, and so they had developed a plan uh, to actually knock out France and, and deal with Russia. But where they went wrong was they, um, they had to, to, to implement this plan, they had to go through neutral Belgium. And Belgium was neutral and its neutrality was guaranteed by Great Britain. Mm. And so by going through Belgium, that then triggered the British involvement in the war and that's when all hell broke loose. I mean, mm. the, the, just the amount of carnage, uh, Chris, just yeah. incredible. Yeah. And, and how it rewrote the maps of, of the, you know, the, the, the geographic maps of the world, uh, you know, invented new countries like Iraq, um, just yeah. incredible. Yeah. And, 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 and there were people, Chris, that were saying at the time, this could never happen because all these countries are interconnected with trade. Does that sound familiar? Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Uh, and therefore, they would never risk that trade for a war. And yeah, and it happened. And it happened. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah. And God it was a miscalculation, it. Chris. It was yeah. a miscalculation. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, and that'll be what happens next year. But uh, yeah, no, that's um, that's interesting because it does repeat this stuff. And uh, yeah, here we are again. So we'll see. Um, 
but yeah, I think uh, Australia better be just cautious with everything um, that they're getting involved in here now. And uh, yeah, and certainly I get people's concerns about about being here in Darwin specifically when this if this kind of stuff happens. If the U.S. is flying nuclear powered uh, bombers over to China, Taiwan. That's going to get messy. And uh, it won't be, oh, yeah, we sold them the port. Let's not forget that a gunner's great thing, right? And the, and the defense <laughs> you don't office. Don't get invaded. <laughs> they have. You know, the Madison's now running, apparently. The, the NT defense office where they're, all the best and brightest are coming up with their ideas. And Gunner, as you recall, yeah, he said, uh, look, if you don't want to be invaded by a foreign superpower, you just give them what they want. And we, we had to do a story about that. That's what he said. He said, basically, we'll give China whatever they want, and then they won't invade us. So that's what I'm doing. I'm Michael Gunner, and I'm the chief minister. And it's, Jesus, why are you even talking about this stuff? But now you got Madison saying something equally as inane, like, oh, yeah, well, we've been bombed before, but it won't happen again. This is where I want my politicians, Chris, whether it's Labor, Liberal, or any other, or Independent, I want them to have an understanding of history because mm. I really think it's important in a position like that to know how things happened in the past and to look for those patterns. Yeah, you know? yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Look, but I would be happy if they just had an understanding of anything at this point. <laughs> <laughs> These idiots like Madison Gunner say. You, you backed the wrong team then, Leon, if you're expecting <laughs> that from these blokes. And yeah. yeah, like they... How about a bit of humility and humbleness and go, you know, no, no. I think I need to study this stuff up and get... Listen to Leon's podcast. Yeah. That's no. a good start. The thing is, though, you know how um, you know how when a cyclone happens that you look out to see when the birds buzz off? So once yes. the birds go, so... Yes. If you haven't driving past and notice there's no one at the port, it's time to drive <laughs> south. Yeah. yeah, that's it. They're not going to not be here because of the port or they bought the port, so they don't want to hurt any. Some One of them said that. I don't know if that was CLP or Labor. Said, well, they won't do anything because the port's here and they don't want to damage their investment. <laughs> it's that exact same thing. They've said mm. that. It's so stupid. Anyway. Hmm. Well, uh, let's. Oh my goodness, Chris! The next story you did. You had to do it again, didn't you? Poor old Andy Cowan with mouse ears. <laughs> what has he done now? The Files government has refused to release the travel costs of a senior public servant who once charged taxpayers to go to Disney World, <laughs> and a former f- a fifth floor staffer because it claims that showing taxpayers where the pair travelled for a 10-month period would be, and you've quoted here, unreasonable interference with the operations, unquote, of the Chief Minister's Department. Why is that? What happened to transparency, Chris? It's gone. It's gone. There's no Information Act anymore. There are no longer any freedom of information laws, clearly. Nothing matters anymore here. Uh, they've just they've just completely wiped this out. Like this is they're, they're not even explaining. And then to come back and say, oh well, we've been told that uh, we have to let you respond. We'll give you a couple of days to refine the scope. I'm not refining the scope of the FOI. And let me explain to you. And, and we'll be you know we're we're still deciding on how best to handle this because it's not done. We're not going to get let them get away with this because they are in breach of the Information Act at this point. 
Anyway, what happened was back in August, we uh, we did file a freedom of information application seeking, and and I, I specifically say application. I hate it when other journalists say request. Oh, we've done an FOI request. You don't request. You tell them it's an application. It's under Demand. the law. They are legally obligated to give public information, basic public information like this to the public. And what we asked for was, and it was only for a 10-month period, we asked for among other things, and some of the stuff, look, we're just focusing on these two things is what they told me they won't give us. We asked for uh, all documents, all travel records, including costs, itineraries, so-called post-activity reports. Now, that's what they're supposed to file after they get back from one of these overseas trips to see, you know, so they can explain to territorians exactly why they needed to go on it, what, what, Territorians got out of it, the benefits they got out of it, how much it cost, what what was it, what happened? We asked for those, and uh, we asked for them for the current Territory Investment Commissioner Andy Cowan, as well as current uh, Fannie Bay Labor MLA Bram Potter when he worked as a ministerial staffer. Now you remember these two jokers got mixed up in this AAI, this amphibious aerospace industries thing. So we wanted to ask. So there were some other things we asked. But basically, the, the main thing was just we want their travel for the 10 months from August or from October 2021 to sometime it was in early August uh, 2022, 10 month period. Uh, we want to know where they traveled internationally, what we got out of it, how much it cost. And they've just come back now. Then they've said that, uh, well, first, two months I've waited, almost three months wasted, where they came back twice to say we need more time. Now, they have under the law, they have 30 days to get back to me with the information. But of course, that, they never adhere to that. So they, they took some time after the first 30 days was up. They said, we need more time. They get another 30 days. After that 30 days was up, they said, we still need more time. They just get to do this. I can object. I guess I can ask for an internal review, but a lot of good that'll do. It's not doing anything while the FOI is still afoot. So uh, you just take it, I guess. And then... Um, so now they come back and they said on Tuesday now, government information officer Jen Atoy just claimed the processing the application for Cowan's and Potter's travel would result in nearly two full-time weeks worth of work or 75.95 hours for the department. Uh, now, and, and then she said, in any event, uh, Chief Minister and Cabinet, consider the processing your application in its current form would be an unreasonable interference with the operations of the department, Ms. Atoy wrote, without explaining exactly how that was, how the department came to that conclusion, how it could possibly be take, it would, uh, be an unreasonable interference in their day-to-day -day operations. Now, I know for a fact, like, it's, when I read that, I'm insulted almost. I'm like, well, you know, they're acting like I've never done an FOI before or something. Like, I've, mm -hmm. I've done them for many years here. And in fact, most of the ones that I do for are for travel or they were early on. And so I know how the travel stuff works. And uh, like, you know, this is, it's, it's very simple. It's in this database called trips, T-R-I-P-S stands for something. And this is where <laughs> they're taking trips. Yeah. All travel, all travels filed the cause who approved it. It's all there. It's all in a database. It would take them maybe an hour for both of them for both Potter and Cowan's, all of their travel for that 10-month period. It's all there. It's already documented. Now, there are issues of whether or not it was documented correctly. 
Um, that might cause them some problems if those, uh, you know, those post activity reports weren't filed. Well, that might be a reason they don't want to, or it might take longer for people to file them. Something's going on here though, because it's so simple to get to, to come up with this slide. That is what they focused on was these two things that I've done this for so many politicians over the years, and I've got it back within a reasonable amount of time and for a reasonable price. They're saying, no, this is an unreasonable interference uh, and, and not even explaining how that could possibly be when they've put all of these you know, resources into FOI. Like they didn't even say in the letter us because we've got like a dozen other FOIs. They did not explain it. Like they've, they've done this illegally. They breached the act. Anyway, the other thing that I noticed when I was doing this, I thought, you know, I haven't the last time that I did a travel one. Well, that was a year ago. And that was about Michael Gunner traveling during the caretaker mode. Mm-hmm. And we know for a fact that, that Ryan Neve, he and his brother-in-law, Ryan Neve, uh, approved these fundings. Ryan Neve approved this, this taxpayer money to travel during the campaign for clearly party political purposes against caretaker provisions, against really rules that were in place to prevent the misappropriation of taxpayer funds. And, uh, and, and, and just did that and they approved that. So when I got that FOI back, I could see that. And we did the stories, a series of stories on it. It now ended up with the ICAC. The ICAC's currently investigating, from what I understand. There's still hearings taking place. Um, and hopefully we'll find out what happened with that. But I, I realized then, like, oh, they've just realized that, yeah, we give Walsh these travel records. Chances are it's going to end up at the ICAC. So let's just stop it right now. And let's just say... Let's just make up something and say, no, you've asked for too much. I've asked for 10 months worth of travel records. That is the, the, almost the, the, the smallest amount of time that I've asked for previously to get things. Um, it's, it's just outrageous. It's just a complete abuse of office and a complete breach of the Information Act. I, I went to the CLP. I asked them what they thought of this. Uh, I thought Leo Finocchiaro came back with a measured response on it by saying it's another blow to democracy in the NT. The files labor government resembles more of a dictatorship than a democracy. We've seen that. Uh, she said, and this systematic dismantling of transparency processes like FOIs is another blow to territorians. The files government is arrogant, out of touch, has no regard for open and transparent government and cannot be trusted we know that they're hiding something here this is two senior public servants so one of them became an mla remember brent potter is uh uh, see the brother-in-law of her chief of staff and he was working on the fifth floor um so you got that and then andy cowan who previously charged taxpayers to to uh go to disney world in florida and then claimed that Oh no, it's been paid back, everybody. It's okay. It's been paid back by a private company that's lobbying me for government money. They paid for my trip, so everything's okay. Um, it was just that was so ridiculous, and nothing ever happened to this clown. He got promoted, right? This is the territory way, no consequences. <laughs> he becomes the investment commissioner. We're giving him more money now to to do this. And he seems to think he can travel around now. Um, and we can't get, but they didn't even make the argument for that. They didn't even say, oh, it's a statutory position. He's the investment commission. You can't get his travel stuff because I think he's still traveling under DCM and C now, Department of Chief Minister and Cabinet. And he was traveling with Potter, the fifth floor staffer. And we know 
that they were traveling in some instances. We wanted to see all of it, who they met with, you know, the itineraries, because we know that they were over there trying to secure money in, in Asia for this amphibious aerospace industries after they'd already given them $10 million of taxpayer money. And this is to a company that claims it's going to build these amphibious aircrafts, despite the fact that they've never built one anywhere. But yet we've given them $10 million. It, it, it failed miserably in New South Wales. Uh, they came up here hat in hand. Andy Cowan, Brent Potter made sure that they got money, worked with these two guys. We know that for a fact. They then made sure that they got $10 million. Then they started traveling around to secure other financing for them at taxpayer expense to do this travel. So we wanted to know what's in here, what's going on. Now, there's a couple other things that I won't get into now, but we'll come up later again, too, in relation to all of this and what we know exists uh, in terms of documents. So uh, there's still going to be more, but I thought that the public needed to know right now that this is how this government is functioning now. They, they've just completely given up on any sense of following rules or legislation. Um, it's basically, they can just lie, they can cover up, they can hide from scrutiny, and what am I going to do about it? What's the public going to do about it? And that's the attitude that's, that's been here for a while, but I think it's really emphasized in something like this. Because that's all we have, right? I mean, this is basic public information. The public has a right to know how the public servants are using their money to travel around and what the public's getting out of it. And they're just blocking that outright saying, no, but it's going to be too hard for us to tell you how we're spending your money on just this little bit of this little issue here of travel. Yeah. So we're not done. Like I said, there'll be more on this and uh, there is a, f a few avenues to go down here, but uh, we won't take it lying down and we will get it. And I, and I do remember that it took eight months to get the travel stuff on Gunner and his travel. So um, we'll keep going. Chris, do you know um, if they declared the Mickey Mouse ears as gift? <laughs> <laughs> I, I do not know. That was, well, yeah, if you're asking last time, that was the issue, right? Was that then he said, but we knew taxpayers paid for it. But then he said, no, nah, no, nah, this private company that's lobbying me for money paid for it. And then we saw, did you? Did you uh, register that as a gift? And then he stopped talking. Then we asked the clown who was running that Kakadu tourism company. We said, so did you? No, no, it wasn't a gift. I just told him to go there and I paid for it. <laughs> right. And that's not a gift. Yeah. And you're lobbying him for money. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, there's a lot of ethical issues going on in all of this stuff here. And uh, it doesn't look good. We'll wait to hear more. Yeah. Uh, let's move on to the next story. Uh, Got to say, this one was met with raised eyebrows. Love the intent, but love to see how this is policed. The uh, mobile phones are to be banned from territory schools for next year, according to Minister Lawler. Yeah, this is, um, I think they're clearly their most popular declaration yet. Yep. If you just judge by kind of comments on social media and I haven't really, we haven't heard from anybody who's complained about this. And I think maybe a seven-year-old somewhere may have gotten <laughs> angry, maybe a 14-year-old. I, yeah. I don't know. But um, 
Yeah, look, so she came out now. I mean, I guess admittedly, most schools had a policy like this already in place. Yeah, not um, not as tough as this one sounds like it's going to be. Yeah, well, this one, of course, will now uh, ban uh, students from using their mobile phones throughout the school day, including during recess and lunch breaks at all government schools. Uh, now, Lawler declared that, citing the risk of distraction, she said, quote, or social harm through their misuse. Uh, yeah, apparently, I think ABC was reporting that the new ban was announced Wednesday morning at the Anti-Education Leaders Summit and uh, will come into effect on the first day of term one next year, 2023. But uh, yeah, I think ABC said that they that it erupted in cheers when Lawler made <laughs> So the teachers, wow. the educators who were there clearly wanted this for a long time. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, she had admitted that many schools already have similar policies, but said the government policy will mean the rules extended to all government schools uh, and the ban would prevent. And, yeah, I don't know about this cyberbullying and the detrimental effects on mental health. I don't know how she's going to gauge that and the yeah. success of that. And like you said, how she's going to police it. But she said the constant feedback I hear from teachers and families is they feel powerless to manage the impacts that mobile phones are having on children and young people, the distraction to learning, the bullying, the impacts on mental health. She said uh, this in turn leads to greater engagement with learning and reduction in cyberbullying and increased social skills. Yeah, maybe we'll see. Um, I, you know, it's still they would still have phones after school, I guess. I think it's really probably a parental thing, isn't it? That you don't want it to get to the point and you manage that social media use. Because yeah. I think that's what we're really talking. I mean, you're not calling friends. Dude, I don't. Let me tell you, <laughs> you, you've only got a young one. Leon's going to know better than me. But my eldest are 11 and good luck policing anything. It's just out of control. Yeah, and yeah. and we do our best, and but yeah, I mean, cyberbullying is a real issue now because oh, of yeah. it. Yeah, but there's no more punch ups in the you know play yard, but it all happens online after school. Yeah, but I but and that's it. I don't get why banning this during recess and lunchtime is going to somehow end that. I yeah, don't think yeah. that's what's going to happen. I, I think probably this idea is good in, in principle, but yeah, I don't think it's going to end all of our social ills when it comes to social media. No, because to, yeah, it's just going to be distraction during the workday. I think that, but less um, yeah, 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 exactly, one less. But right. um, yeah, look, like it's, like you said, it's been met with um, lots of positivity, but yeah. uh, gee, it'll be hard to police. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, like I was just surprised that, that people were saying, like, this is good. This is a positive thing Labor's done. Yeah. Now, can you start now tackling the crime issue and start That's making right. some announcements that we all agree <laughs> with around that? And stop annexing things. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, that's that's a positive one for them, I guess. They, they can do it if they sit and... Do you think Lawler did that on her own, though, or do you think some experts... No, she said she listened well, to constant they're feedback. Li they're listening to experts, here. Chris. Yeah, it's constant consistent. Feedback. Constant feedback. Well, the experts I, got I, one right. I, I support it. I mean, geez, I tell yeah. you, it's... Yeah. I mean, I see it in my own household, you know, and I yeah. did my very, very best to... Uh, dissuade my children from getting a, a mobile phone for as long as I could. 
Uh, and in, in relation to one of them, they got it without me even knowing. <laughs> right? Uh, yeah. It's just, it's just so hard. It's so hard. And I look at, you know, yeah, I mean, I, I just look at what's happening with it. I, I, it, it. It affects everything. It's like a bloody drug, mm. honestly. Uh, one of my uh, kids was sick yesterday or the day before. And so I went to school, picked him up, brought him home. And I said, right, give me your phone and you're not getting it back until you go to school. And he was, he, he was, he was really sick. He was actually sick. And the next day we kept him home because uh, he wasn't feeling well. And, you know, he was getting very narky with me because I wouldn't <laughs> give him the phone. And I said, mate, this is what, this is why, this is proof that you're addicted to it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like crack. It really is. It, it's it, like It genuinely is though, mate. And, you know, Chris, you've got a very young one, as do I. I have a three-year-old and look, you know, she uses the iPad very regularly. And on those occasions when I say, no, you're not having it go outside or play a game or do whatever, I see it in a three-year-old, mate, and it is like a drug. It's that hit that they get when they've got it versus when you say, no, you're not having it. Go and play a game or go outside or do whatever. Mm. It's it's a real problem, and the older one's worse. But yeah, because the hey, phone is different to an iPad, mate. The problem with the phone is the Snapchat and the whatever the hell else they're on that I've got no idea yeah, right? yeah. because it keeps pinging you, and mm. it's that little bit of dopamine that you get every time you get a, a message. Well, what you may not realise, Leon, and I certainly didn't, is my older kids play these games, right, Roblox and these other things, which are apparently quite educational and fine. But their friends also play them, and we didn't realise this, but they can all talk to each other through these games. Mm. And so this cyberbullying that you mentioned before it happens in these arenas as well. It's not just, you know, pinging off a message to someone saying you're an idiot or sending a message through Facebook Messenger. It's playing games in groups where they're all getting stuck into each other and, you know, being antisocial. Mm. So it's, it is, yeah, it, it's just impossible to police. Yeah, I don't know what to do. I'm at a complete loss. And, you know, quite frankly, uh, I think hats off to Eva Lawler. I, I'm, you know, I, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I agree with you. I mean, it's going to be hard to police. I don't know how it's going to work and all that sort of stuff. But I think um, anything is better yes. than nothing. Yeah, correct. You know, it's just Chris. You haven't faced it yet, but let me tell you, <laughs> it's coming like a tsunami, mate. And you will, well, you will not know what to do. Yeah, you know, and you can try because I did. I tried to prevent one of them getting it early and he just went and got it himself. Yeah. And I didn't know for months. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm not looking forward to that. But, um, yeah, good to know someone what to expect then. Um, try and figure it out. But, yeah, look, this was a positive thing. So the government has something that they've done right this week. So I'm going to applaud Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And on the note of positive things, the Darwin Luxor Festival is back <laughs> and will include more of the NT this year. Uh, and 
Let me uh, declare an interest. I, I am not this year, but for the last few years, I have been a judge of the Luxor Festival, a, a very uh, honoured uh, position, I have to say. I'm, uh, I love judging the Luxor Festival. Yeah. Um, I yes. remember. Yeah. <laughs> so why aren't you on the now, committee this year? What happened? <laughs> Oh, kicked look, off? I think there were some allegations, man. <laughs> oh, probably. Uh, you know, I was, I, I was actually, as you know, I was I've been away as well, so I didn't. I just didn't commit to it this year. Yeah. But I'm uh, looking forward to finding out what's going on. Uh, for some reason, I thought it was in October, but it's not. It's this month. <laughs> no, you got to get it nice and hot. It needs to be yeah. nice and hot. Yeah, exactly. Right in the peak of the building. Um, yeah, and you guys, I think, gave it to Jason Chow Hannah. They call him now. <laughs> uh, is that right? His middle okay. name's Chow. Okay. Um, did Chow win it last year? Did they? I can't remember. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Jason Hanna right. did anyway, and um, yeah, we we just put that in the story because the NT News ran a photo of him and who was it Kirby and some other people, and they wrote Jason Chow because they have no journalists with any experience there. <laughs> <laughs> they wrote Jason He'd Chow like that. <laughs> yeah. So He'd then like we thought, that. well, let's call him that. Chow yeah. Anna. Jason Chow yeah. Anna. The journalist um, was in Adelaide, so it was. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was some interesting. Um, there was one. Uh, there was it, one in the in the, the mall. I thought in Galleria that had won it. Oh yeah, for the last two years before that, I think yeah, right. Yeah, right. and then Jason Chow Hannah won it <laughs> last year. But look, this year the stakes are higher than ever. All right, there's a trip for two to Timor Leste on the line. Okay. Yeah. So I don't know who wants to go is that, there. <laughs> is that for losing or for winning? <laughs> <laughs> and you have to do it before Christmas. You need to get on the plane and be I there. I can't. I call having a Luxor in Timor, although I'm told by Lisa Melner that uh, Timor is a fabulous place to go for cuisine. And I've yep. been twice. Uh -huh. I've been twice, and I was very surprised, but I shouldn't have been, Chris, because, no. as you know, East Timor um, well, is coming off the back of a lot of UN um, involvement, and yeah. there's some uh, amazing um, architecture there. Did I tell you about this, Chris, uh, East Timor? I think so, yeah. That uh, the, the the embassies in East Timor? No, maybe not. I don't remember. Oh, that. right. Okay. So, so I saw, my best friend used to live in East Timor, and I went there once and or twice actually. But the first time I went there, he said, "All okay, right, I'll take you for a for a drive around the equivalent of uh, Yarralumla." Okay, yeah. <laughs> where all the embassies are, and saw the Australian embassy, and it looks magnificent and great and everything. And then the next one we saw was the American embassy, and it was like, "Wow, this mm. is." huge like why would they need such a massive embassy here in in this place mm. then you go around the corner and you look at the chinese embassy and holy crap it's made of gold it's probably, isn't it? it's, it's probably bigger than the one in canberra <laughs> so um there's a lot of diplomacy and uh diplomatic activity going on there but that has fed into mm -hmm. the the cuisine culture in in, in mm. Um, Dilly, and you get some amazingly good food there. I had fantastic Sri Lankan food in Dilly. I couldn't believe it. Like, mm. there was food there that I've had that I haven't even had in Australia. Yeah, well, well, there you go. So here's what you want to do then. You want to go around and try as many dishes as possible and mm. vote for your favorite laksa and inspired mm. by laksa dish using the Golden Bowl vote via the app, and then you get entered into a win a trip for two to Timor Leste. Okay. The government said in promotional material. Now, what they also said mm -hmm. 
was that this year, yeah, there'll be more restaurants participating from across the, the entire territory, including right. Catherine Nullenboy and Alice Springs, all vying for best regional laksa right. uh, as part of what they're dubbing a month-long food tour. So it's back, it's sweaty, it'll happen. Laksa-inspired dishes this year will include uh, laksa arancini, laksana, coconut laksa panna cotta, laksa iced coffee, oh sweet sweet and chili laksa waffles, laksa chicken nuggets, um, laksa chicken pizza, and more. Awesome. Now, I I did suggest to the Alexa people that they actually get someone from Singapore to judge, right? They Uh, didn't do that. um, I'm not sure whether they (laughs) did that or not because… No, they did not. No. Now, they're going to… Well, not that we know of now. They said that they brought in a Malaysian celebrity chef. Right. (laughs) And uh, Shirson Leon. Shirson Leon will be promoting Uh-oh. the different food venues throughout the month-long food tour and will present a cooking demonstration at an undisclosed location on November 27th. <laughs> now, what I found weird, and then They're they telling said, no one where he's going to be. <laughs> grand finale, <laughs> festival day is going to happen. We're celebrating everything Laksa. But in the statement, they didn't say where it was going to be. Yeah. Undisclosed. Left that part out, so we had to say an undisclosed location. Um, nope. They're going to use a government chartered jet to take them to and from <laughs> and not tell anyone where it is. That's good. It's pretty good. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, look, what, I mean, one of the things that I suggested to them was the fact that when you go to Asia, there is the laksa is so diverse, you wouldn't, you would, you would not be able to recognize it. Right, because you have things like Sarawak laksa, Johor laksa, Penang laksa, <laughs> and they're just, they are massively different, much more different than the laksas that we've got here yeah. in terms of diversity. So I was hoping that they'd get someone from, from that region to be able to come over and, and explain all these different laksas. And, <laughs> you know. That's almost like that's almost like a metaphor for this government too. You mean you told them that there was something going on outside of this place <laughs> that, that people were doing better and that they should maybe get involved and talk to those people, you know, outside of this place. So most mm. people would call experts and they have no interest in doing that. I, I'm shocked, Leon. I'm absolutely it makes too shocked. much sense, Leon. Too maybe much sense. they didn't have money. Maybe, you know. Oh, no, that's <laughs> Right, yeah, they're poor now. Yeah, that's it. Send us Timor if we win. (laughs) Well, let's uh, move to the final story, Chris, because this time we've been doing the investigative journalism about you. (laughs) Excellent. What do you got? The NT Independent has been nominated for two more NT Media Awards. Explain yourself, Chris. I can confirm that. That's true. So, <laughs> um, yeah, look, I mean, the, the awards, it's good to be recognized by your peers for that kind of stuff. And it just seems especially important for the NT Independent, considering, you know, everything that we're up against <laughs> every day now and this ongoing ridiculous, stupid, and illegal ban that Files, for some reason, has decided that she should uh, continue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and without explanation, we don't get that from her about anything on that. So when we get nominated for these kind of things, we do like to to make people aware, and at least because it really shows the government how petty they are, how petty the government's being about this, and that we're being recognized by interstate, interstate journalists 
as you know doing producing the best work some of some of the best work in the nt for the entire year and on some pretty big issues too right like we're up for best news coverage and best crime court reporting again and we were lucky enough last year to win both of those so we're hoping we can repeat but it, it really just goes back and it's really just another black eye for this government to see that you know here we are being recognized for outstanding achievements on things, and yet this government pretends that we don't exist as a newspaper where the rest of the country is uh, is welcoming us, doing stories about us, doing all kinds of things, and, and these guys are just, you know, continuing to perpetuate this grudge, this ban that they have on us that, that they can't even explain anymore. I mean, we've shown that we've been fair. We've, uh, we always put their, their lines in. I mean, are we obligated to run a story about the locks of us? Well, no, but, um, <laughs> you know, that's something in the community that the people are interested in and the, and we'll do that. And we'll like quote them in that story. Like we quoted files in that story. Like we, we continue to do this stuff and yet they continue not to engage with us, not to answer Did our questions. It was all lies. Yeah, and you know and the other thing yeah i mean we get we get back to now they're blocking fois from us we we can't even get our fois filled out and that's because it's some sort of personal Mm -hmm. thing and how do you go like i I guess that she's kind of painted herself into a corner like how at this point does she say oh well you know and we we remain open to this and i think peter grest has pushed them on it and said let's have a discussion and get the nt independent back into covering um, uh, press conferences, ministerial press conferences, and getting their questions answered by the public service. But the way that we've gone with this, I don't see how files comes back from this. I mean, she's not, she, if she's sitting down and thinking about it, she's got to be like, well, they're only going to ask tough questions. Like, where is our investment commissioner going? Why isn't he filling <laughs> out his, his forms properly? Why isn't he doing this? Why is he giving 10 million bucks with this other guy? They don't want to answer these questions. You know, we keep kind of making the argument for them for why they should ban us because it's too difficult for them, which isn't an argument at all. And I mean, I think when, when you see this, that we get nominated for these awards that it just really throws it back on them and says, what the hell is wrong with you? And when are you going to respect the free press, respect our democracy and respond to tough questions? That's what happens when you're the leader. That's why we're paying you that much money and you're making the decisions, although you're, you're clearly palming them off to quote unquote expert bureaucrats. But, you know, at some point, expert that leadership guidance. has to be there. Yeah. And, and it's just, again, it's just back to our crumbling democracy and our lack of leadership. Um, Anyway, anyway, I don't know how I got off on that, but we we are nominated for the award, so I'll bring it back and make it a little positive here. Um, It is, if anyone's interested, anyone, I think it's open to anyone, Saturday, November 19th at Crocosaurus Cove. I think you got to call ahead and get tickets, but um, yeah, I know that those journalists like to get into the beers and uh, (laughs) and the drinks. A couple of them did last year. (laughs) Me too. I I like having free beers. I like beer. Be <laughs> so it should be a good night, uh, regardless. And um, yeah, we'll see what happens. Well, uh, congratulations and uh, good luck. And uh, yeah, let's <laughs> let's uh, see if you can bring back a couple of gongs like um, our uh, other journalist um, who uh, has brought back three, I think, last week. Uh, Katie Wolf, I thought I saw. Oh, yeah, yeah. She won some awards at the uh, ACRAs. I'm not sure where they were held this year, but, yeah, the uh, Australian Commercial Radio Awards. 
Yeah, yeah. we like we like Katie. We think she does a good job, and uh, yeah, absolutely, she does. Great she does. She does, she hopes that holds the uh, politicians' feet to the fire occasionally. So that's good. Yeah, and Chris. Yeah, yeah, as absolutely. I've said to you before, don't don't seem too disheartened about the band because it's probably the making of your son. It's mm. probably the reason why you get all the good stories that you do. Oh uh, yeah, look, yeah. I mean, that's what we said in the thing. I think that was my quote, just thanking people for supporting us because that's like the most important thing. That we have people subscribing and reading us and uh, and uh, getting involved, and especially those sources who do come for it and give us some stories. Like we can't do that without them, and they know they can trust us because yeah, I think what you're saying, Pete, they know that we're not gonna cower to the government or um, compromise exactly. the story because we're afraid they might not talk to us again. We don't exactly. need them. We don't need them. So. And if that if that's not enough, just remember uh, Camden Smith's famous words that you don't want to go there anyway. It's really boring. <laughs> well, some days I do, though. Some days I'm like, <laughs> well, the questions aren't being asked that need to be asked, and I'd love to get there someday. And I, and I wouldn't let her kind of get off the run from the mic until she answered something like, why are you deceiving the public about this petrochemicals plan? No, yeah. Minister, with respect, you've not answered that question. Are you going to apologize to the public for lying? Apologize to the Environment Center. Anyway, that's where we're at, and hopefully that'll still come back around. Um, we'll get to the bottom of that, but it's just another week in crazy town here. That's it, another week in clown town, and the, yeah. uh, the unofficial mayor's giving us all the dirt. I love it. <laughs> I'm just I'm just covering it. <laughs> Chris, as always, mate, it's been a pleasure. We'll catch you next week. Great. Thanks, guys. See you next week. Thanks, Chris. That was Chris Walsh from the NT Independent online newspaper. Weekends with Bolshe back again next week on the Territory Story Podcast Weekend Edition. We'll catch you then. You've been listening to the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan Nathan and Peter Gowers. For more episodes, search Territory Story Podcast on all leading podcasting platforms or go to TerritoryStory.com. The Territory Story Podcast, thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency.